Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. This podcast has been sponsored by WorkReduce. If you want to reimagine how to work in advertising, check them out at workreduce.com forward slash careers. Welcome, everybody, and welcome, Jeremy, to the Programmatic Digest podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. I am pretty excited to talk to you, uh, Jeremy, because we're going to talk about adaptive algorithmic advertising, (laughs) the triple A. But before we get into today's conversation, I'd love it if you can introduce yourself and tell us who you are, what you do, and of course, your journey to where you are now. Sure. So I'm Jeremy Thane. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Cognitive, which is a custom algorithm capability that we deliver to advertisers. So we work for advertisers in the programmatic space. We develop deep learning algorithms for them, thus the adaptive algorithmic advertising that we say that we have mastered. Uh, because deep learning algorithms are adaptive, which is their secret weapon uh, from an advertiser marketer perspective. They adapt and get smarter and evolve over time so that they are better at picking and choosing where to put your advertising to drive results at better cost. Uh, all right, so that's that's who I am. Got it. Okay. Uh, that's a little bit about cognitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did I get here? You know, I've been working <laughs> in the interactive marketing space for over 20 years now. I started uh, my second job out of school. My first job was a consulting for PwC, mm-hmm. uh, and and my second job was Digitas before it was part of Publicis, when it was an independent public agency. Had a great time learning interactive marketing there. I had a background in interactive and coding and things like that, but I really wanted to be on the marketing side. So Digitas was a great place for me to do that. I then went to business school and then I went basically into media after that. I worked at the Interactive Advertising Bureau, which is our trade organization, and worked really hard at a great time, 2005 to 2009, when there were a lot of uh, inefficiencies in the market and the structure of the business, such as 65 different quote unquote standard ad units and discrepancies of 20 to 40% on uh, impression measurement, things like that were making it really hard. Contracts were all custom, things were making it really hard to transact. So we worked on that for four years, which is great. Then I went to CBS Interactive and started running their monetization strategy across all of their network properties, which was a great business to help uh, run. And from there, we launched the first premium programmatic uh, ad network uh, using AdMeld, which was at the time uh, an independent SSP. And from that experience, I was recruited into Rubicon Project, which was another pioneer of the programmatic RTV space and help uh, run their North American accounts and client service group um, for about four years till we went public. And then I decided it was time to start um, my own thing with two of my best friends from elementary school. 
oh, nice. which is what cognitive is. It's a, it's a venture of myself, Aaron Andelman, and Mark Hudasco, all of all of whom met in fifth grade. Nice, 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 nice. Uh, we'll definitely ask that question a little bit on in the podcast, but I do want to highlight a, a point that you just made about. Um, so help me understand your definition of deep learning. What exactly does that mean? Especially in our sure. Space. So now let's take a quick break to hear more about our sponsors. Our sponsor, WorkReduce, is the secret weapon used by the market's top agencies and brands. Their specialist talent and media services help brands and agencies grow and scale faster. One of the fastest growing services offered by WorkReduce is their service desk. It provides flexible, on-demand media buying, ad operation, and analytics support. Many of the world's biggest brand and agencies use WorkReduce in time zone service desk as an extension of their in-house media team. With an easily deployable operation playbook, process automation, and a high quality reputation, their service desks will provide the expertise and precision to take your digital operation to the next level in 2022. Covering ad trafficking, campaign setup, QA, optimization, and campaign analytics, your internal resource focus on the activities that count the most while WorkReduce Service Desk takes care of the rest. Check out WorkReduce.com for more information on their ad operations service desk and tell them Ellen sent you. Now back to the episode. Yeah, sure. More and more people are hearing the term deep learning. They don't really understand what it is. They they may know that it's AI or okay. machine learning. Yeah. Um, all of those terms are a little murky, frankly, to most people. So just quickly, AI is an umbrella term. Artificial intelligence is an umbrella term for anything where you're talking about a computer learning how to do something okay. um, without being specifically programmed to add two plus two. Uh, machine learning is generally synonymous at this point with AI, and that means any kind of algorithmic learning that is happening, uh, or equation type learning, there's decision trees and logistic regression, and all these different kinds of uh, machine learning solutions that have existed for a while. Deep learning is technically a part of machine learning as a term, okay. but frankly. In my opinion, it is a huge departure uh, from traditional machine learning in that before deep learning, just just from a layman's perspective, before deep learning existed, you could not talk to your phone. You could not, uh, computers couldn't see. Facial recognition was terrible. Um, uh, Cars couldn't drive themselves. None of that was possible before deep learning. And then all of a sudden, it was all possible. Within two years, you saw massive changes in the way that we interact with technology and the abilities of technology to do things that up until that point, really only humans had done. And so deep learning was this massive leap forward for what we call machine learning and AI, and has really gotten us the closest we've ever been to the idea that uh, a computer can act like a human in almost every single way, understand your speech, make up new responses, uh, see things the way you see them, 
generalize a drawing of an apple with a real apple. You know, all these things computers were not able to do before deep learning. And then all of a sudden they were. And that that is what deep learning really is, is enabling a computer to have the same level of human intuition uh, that 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 was not available to them before. So, okay, thank you for thank you for defining it. So I'm going to repeat it so that my brain can understand. And also don't don't I, I love the term like explain it as if you're talking to a third grader. I think it's very relevant, even though. We work in an industry that love buzzwords and, you know, buzzwords are really sexy. Um, but the, my definition with deep learning is that it's a form of machine learning that's able to help us maybe identify deeper data points than a regular AI would. Well, okay. So this is, this is how I'll explain that. that so we define deep learning, yeah. but let's talk about <clears throat> why that's important. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we sort of define what deep learning has enabled, but okay. why is it important from a marketing perspective? Okay, so fundamentally, deep learning allows a computer to generalize. Okay. And we've never really had to think about this, but computers were actually terrible at generalization before they were really good at memorization, right? Two plus two is four. They'll never forget and they'll never make that mistake. But ask them to recognize one voice from another voice, and they couldn't do it. Got it. I don't know if you ever used Dragon Naturally Speaking as a uh, dictation aid, but even now there's note-taking companies mm -hmm. like Fireflies mm -hmm. that have no humans transcribing this podcast, for yeah. instance, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and they don't make mistakes, basically. Uh, translation systems have gotten better, all these things. Um, but before deep learning, computers couldn't do that because they couldn't generalize. So deep learning is this new machine learning capability that allows computers to generalize. And that is actually our superpower as humans. Okay, so, so if you think about it, when you're growing up, when you're a little kid, you can't, it takes you forever to learn how to count, how to read. Memorization of those things takes a long time. But generalization of images and speech and all those things is relatively innate. We, we do it immediately. So if you took maybe a two-year-old and you showed them a red apple mm -hmm. and then you showed them a picture, like a flat picture, a crayon drawing, or you asked them to draw an apple, they would draw something that doesn't look anything like a red apple, but you would know it looks like a red apple. It's a two-dimensional version. It's roughly the same shape. And maybe it has a stem on it or something like yeah, that, yeah. right? <laughs> but humans, that's immediately, we're like, okay, that's an apple. Mm -hmm. A computer would never have been able to make that jump yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before deep learning. Okay. All right, so that's just one way. And we can understand each other's voices without hearing each other for the first time. Whether we have accents or not, if we're speaking English, generally speaking, we can understand each other. Computers could never do that because that's no, a can't. generalization. No, my homegirl, right? uh, AL, you know, Alex, she, she, yeah, she never understands me. And I told my husband that they, I wish uh, uh, Amazon will, will have a, maybe more deep learning around that space because I'll have to yell, Echo, 
turn the master bell yes. lights off now. Well, yes. Right. So that's a great point of, mm-hmm. of, of, of the still the shortcomings of, of deep learning right, versus right, what right. humans can do in that they still need to be trained mm-hmm. with, okay, you, you, where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Oh, I'm originally from Senegal in West Africa. Okay. So you spoke French. French. French is first one language. Of your first languages, mm-hmm. right? And so you speak maybe with a French accent in mm-hmm. English, right? Yep. So they need to, tr- they need to find some people who speak French, English accent, French accent in English and train Alexa with that, you know, mm-hmm. two or three or four voices would be enough. And then it would get it, but mm-hmm. they haven't trained it yet. Now humans, we don't really need that. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I may never have heard a French accented English, but your forming of the English language is enough for me to understand you. Just to comprehend me. Yeah. Um, another interesting, but, a, but a, a real world, interesting um, <laughs> anecdote of that mm-hmm. is that I, I'm half Chinese and half mm-hmm. Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my grandmother lived with me growing up and she had a very heavy accent, mm-hmm. a very heavy Chinese okay. accent in mm-hmm. English. And I could understand her perfectly. I'd grown up with it. Mm-hmm. But when a friend of mine would come over and they'd never grown up Heard, with a yeah. Chinese accent in English, they could not understand what she was saying. <laughs> and it was very interesting. Because it was very clear for me. So yeah, my right, neural networks like... had... <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, so my neural networks have been trained to understand yeah. the, the Chinese accent in English. Uh, on the other side of that, my friend is very good at understanding European accented English mm-hmm. or di- or or saying, okay, this person's from Italy or this person's from Spain, this person's yeah. from Russia. I can I they could figure that out based on how they're speaking English. And I couldn't differentiate between them, but but her neural network had been had been trained uh, internally to understand those things. So anyway, long story short, generalization. So what do we do in marketing? Yeah, exactly. We generalize, mm-hmm. right? We're trying to find more of the people. We're trying to find lookalikes. Mm-hmm. Lookalikes have been this idea in marketing forever. It's just we're defining these lookalike audiences terribly and they never work at scale. Very Whereas cookie, deep um, learning can now heavy. find all of these small, tiny little differences mm-hmm. and generalize those uh, to enable you to find more people at scale and understand how far different they are and therefore value them differently, message them differently, uh, et cetera. And that is what cognitive was built around that idea. So give me, give me maybe, uh, thank you for, for defining it for, for me and the, and the listener, (laughs) but, uh, give me like almost a, a case study where like something really cool that you came across while running uh, one of a cognitive client. Uh, you don't have to give me any names. We're now looking for names, of course, but more of like from an industry perspective sense, we tested this strategy utilizing con- cognitive um, yeah. uh, AI, wait, not AI, deep learning. And, um, and we're able to actually pull this when everybody else would have seen this. Right, right. So our... I think our most interesting big success mm-hmm. at Cognitive has been one of the top three insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And okay. they're they're one of our clients, they're a longtime client. And 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 I don't know what the other insurance companies do because we don't work with them, mm-hmm. but the idea in advertising, frankly, is I'm spending X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. 
I want to spend that most efficiently. If I spend another million dollars, does it get me move the enough needle. new business to make it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. And all of the insurance companies are huge brands, right? You've heard of all of them. You've seen all their ads. You know their uh, their their catchphrases. You oh, know yeah. their unfortunately, yeah, their spokespeople or animals, right? Mm-hmm. And so they've spent massive amounts of money already on television and radio. When they come to digital uh, and addressable capabilities, mobile, digital, you know, even CTV. A big brand like that should be focused only on incrementality, okay? Incremental Ooh, okay. new customers. Okay. Meaning cool. they've already spent all this money on the brand. People have already decided to go to one brand or another, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But there are people who still need to be convinced. Mm-hmm. Traditionally speaking, you can't optimize for incrementality, no matter what people say. They can find incrementality because they have some audience that they found that doesn't know, hasn't made a decision, but that audience doesn't scale, right? And it doesn't optimize in real time. Deep learning has been the key to finding at scale incrementality for this big insurance company. They tried everybody. They give everybody a chance. We're happy for the competition, but deep learning, our deep learning platform, which is frankly the only deep learning platform in existence for the open web, uh, is the only one that has been able to connect the dots from a from a uh, a behavioral perspective to figure out is this person already convinced and will already get a quote without me advertising to them? Yeah. Or do they need more ads? And because we're able to choose between those two. And not advertise to those who are already going to be convinced. We actually show them a PSA from a test perspective. Mm -hmm. We don't show them an insurance company ad. And then we show ads to those who we think really need more ads. And watching the difference in those two groups convert is the key to our success. And really in real time and at scale, and adapting to new creatives and COVID and all these other things, deep learning has been the only thing, in our opinion, that has been able to solve that problem. Uh, and um, our client agrees with us because they've been trying everybody else and we're the only ones that have been able to do it. So we think that deep learning is really the key to smart marketing. Would you say then that messaging is almost the second maybe most important things after the technology, after deep learning? Because I would say, like you mentioned something about serving them a PSA that maybe be related to the industry, insurance industry, but not really the brand. Um, and then analyzing how they um, maybe interact or engage with that and then serving your industry, the, the brand's ad, right? Yeah. So would you say that, would you agree that messaging is really important? And the reason why I ask this question is because I think when the programmatic media Space, we we're really we get, we get lost into the technology and sometimes we forget the consumer and ultimately if we take like that that step back to identify the point of advertising from a first like from, in general is communication with your ideal client right the best way to communicate is by messaging so um, I don't think we always focus on messaging and it has greater consequences on poor performance from a data perspective. So is there any 
any recommendation, let's say three recommendations that you, based on what you're doing, that you're able to say, hey, actually, when we do this, messaging has influence in those three things or these two things. Sure, sure. So, so just to be clear on our mm-hmm. incrementality, yes. the PSA, mm-hmm. the PSA has is like Red Cross or something like that. It doesn't have anything to do with insurance. It just, okay. it's just, hey, we're donating this as a, as part of our test. We're also giving free advertising to a, a worthy uh, cause, and that's okay. that's like that. what this company does. And generally, if you really want to do incrementality testing correctly, that's what you're what you're supposed to do. But mm-hmm. on the creative answer, so. We like to talk about our capability as a unified optimization problem, okay? And what does that mean? That means this this thing that we, was a mantra at Digitas 20 years ago, and it still today should be our mantra, which is delivering the right message to the right person in the right place at the right time, right? Those are the four things that we have to do from an advertising perspective to create a, a change in the consumer, okay? Ad tech has never been organized under that principle. Okay. VC firms and to their, you know, hey, they made a lot of money on this strategy, have only chosen one of those problems to solve. Okay. The right message is dynamic creative optimization companies or creative platforms where you can, you know, quickly create an ad or something like that. Right. That's the feature. It's a feature. It's not actually full company, but they've made these full companies, right? Okay. And then, then we've convinced ourselves that we need best of breed of each of these things, right? We need the best of breed dynamic creative. Okay. So I'm going to take the next 30 seconds to let you know about the reach frequency, which is a course you have asked me for. Okay. And I've spent a lot of time crafting every single lesson just for you. Why should you even consider? And then I'm already pretty aware of what's going on for my advertising. I love your podcast content. This is why I'm here. Cool, great. But you may know somebody that really wants to learn about programmatic advertising and don't know where to start, right? Most likely you've received training via your current job or via a previous job, right? You work for an agency, you work for a partner or a vendor in the industry, and they provided uh, the, the training, right? Is that how you got here? Well, did you know that that's the, actually the only way to get training nowadays? Like if for any one of our friends in the digital marketing world, it's really hard for us to, for them to really learn anything if they don't know who, where, and, and, and really what to look for. So the Reach and Frequency course is geared for those people. It's going to take you from zero to 100, from fundamentals to how to run a successful programmatic media campaign, how to run a successful department if you wish to be a leader or lead a department in programmatic advertising. The Reach and Frequency course is for you. Okay, we talk about we talk about anything from fundamentals. We talk about anything from who are the key players in the industry. But the biggest thing is that I give you my recommendation, my feedback, my guides. I was a trader. I was a buyer for few for eight plus years, right? And I led teams, I led teams of buyers. So I'm really, really, really good when it comes to running a programmatic advertising strategy, implementing, executing, optimizing, and reporting on, and then selling some more. I'm really good at that. So yeah, you can probably get most of this training out there. Great. Don't only stop at with my course, continue training. Cause that's, that's 
that's what it's all about, right? But what you won't get anywhere else and you'll get with me is all of that experience I've been able to gather, you've been able to implement. Like this is an interactive course for you to learn anything you should know about programmatic advertising, whether you're already working in it or you're trying to work in the industry. So check out the Reach and Frequency course brought to you by me, your very own programmatic coach. I'm very grateful for this experience that I've gone through the last two years and I'm here to teach you everything that I know. Check out reachandfrequency.live, reachandfrequency.live, and now back to the episode. We need the best of breed audience tool. What's the what is this, the uh, CDP or the, the, the DMP yeah. or whatever you want to call it, you know? So yeah. we have a DMP and yeah. then we have, that's for the audience. That's for yeah. the right person. Mm -hmm. For the right place and time, we have a DSP. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we cobble these all together, <laughs> but we're not asking the question at the same time. First, we decide if it's the right place and time. Okay. And maybe the user. Okay. And now what creative are we going to show? That is not ideal and it's not optimal okay so what we're able to do with these neural networks which is really cool and you know this is this is sort of open ideas it's not something that's necessarily proprietary to us but we can build neural networks that have an output for every single creative that you have we're not going to create the creatives but you can have 16 20 50 different creatives maybe for all different kinds of messages, maybe for all different types of uh, people, um, for all different kinds of interests. And over time, the neural network will experiment with all these different messages across all these different types of people yeah. and be able to hone in on which message works at the right time in the right place, you know, and, and, and all those things, uh, which is amazing, right? So we have ignored uh creative because yeah. it mm -hmm. cut out of the question mm -hmm. and it has been treated so separately in ad tech that we have focused on how much does this inventory cost and which user should i buy then afterthought is the creative yeah these yeah. neural networks enable us to give a lot more insight and a lot more experimentation mm -hmm. to what creative at the right time. And one last thing on this, mm -hmm. most creative optimization tools are, are very simple. This one is working better. Use this one, not this one works in this situation. This one works in this situation. Got this it. one should go first. This one should go second. Those are the real impacts of creative, right? Pushing an awareness creative down to a decisioning message, down to a, a purchase message, those, and then a loyalty message, come back, buy more. Or like for there is yeah. an optimization there mm -hmm. that nobody is paying attention to because it's too, yeah. it's been felt like it's too complex. Yeah, I always get excited when a client wants to test uh, creative sequencing uh, strategies. I'm like, yes, this is great, yeah. but let's just, let's do it. like. Let's do it correctly. You know, sometimes it does make sense to target or test the same message at the same time with the same um, audience. That makes sense sometimes. But there are other times like once you start this, it's you shouldn't continue <laughs> for the totality of the, the campaign run or the flight day or the, the year. Um, but before we get into our um, 
our closing statement, I wanted, let's say if somebody had to stop, um, if somebody had to stop the podcast right now, right? Even though this conversation's lit, what are maybe two or three things you think um, how deep learning is going to impact our digital advertising for better and maybe how it will continue to do so? Well, I, I think we've talked about a lot of it. I think mm-hmm. it enables uh, like in a recapping way, like I'm asking if somebody had to go, what are like the three Jeremy yeah. things to do? Yeah. So they can implement. So one, I speak a lot on like executing on the knowledge we acquire. Sure. So what are the three things they can be like, oh, bet I'm going to go do it right now. And then I'm going to reach out to Jeremy about some more business or some more. <laughs> yes. Reach out to cognitive. Absolutely. If you are ready to uh-huh. take performance marketing to the next level, meaning it. Mm-hmm. one you realize last touch attribution is not a real attribution model. Yeah. Two, you want to uh, you want to actually use your dollars in the right way. Three, mm-hmm. you want to learn from what the algorithm is seeing so that you can apply that outside of digital mm-hmm. to uh, to all of your other messaging. Mm-hmm. And and those are just some short ones. I mean, basically, deep learning is taking us finally into the realm of advertising that we want to be in. But we've sort of been feeling very defeated in for the last 10 years, which is like, I want to do multi-touch attribution. I want to do incrementality, mm-hmm. but I've tried it and it doesn't work. And I'm sad and depressed that it doesn't work because last touch attribution I know is not right. But what else do I have? I don't have any other options. Deep learning is taking us finally into that space where you feel like, hey, this is the way advertising is supposed to be done. Finally. It is scientific. There's some art to it, of course, but really the way that we've been measuring, the way that we've been strategizing, all those things have been because of the limitations that we have in the technology. Finally, we can do it the way it's supposed to be done. Um, okay, that's that's great. That's great. Um, so... All right, let's move into our closing segment where I like to ask some personal questions and some fun questions, honestly. Um, can you share one fun fact about yourself? <laughs> well, I, I already sort of said it in that, like the thing that people find most uh, interesting about me mm-hmm. is that I am, I, I am uh, an Asian Jew. I'm a Chinese Jew uh, <laughs> because it's because I, I don't really look like anything. I'm sort of like ethnically ambiguous. So <laughs> most people are interested in my in my background, which which is a which is I, I love talking about. You know, it's really interesting. My my mom's Chinese family is uh, immigrants from China. My father's Jewish family came um, through Ellis Island and was, you know, Lower East Side. Uh, settled in the Lower East Side and then moved out to the Midwest. And um, so, you know, it's a, it's an interesting and rich background. So that's, that's usually what people are most surprised to find out about me. Um, so how, how are family gathering? How are family dinners? What are like the dishes that you guys eat? <laughs> Do you guys get to meet? Well, the, jo- or the, 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 eat, the, the hybrid the or? Fruit, 
the low hanging fruit joke is that uh, at Christmas we ate Chinese food. Everybody was happy <laughs> uh, because traditionally Jews will have Chinese food on Christmas because it's the only restaurant open. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's really what happened. No, I mean, we we, you know, each side of my family um, had its own food traditions. You know, uh, Jewish food is generally our, our side of the the the, the Jewish uh, part of our family is is Eastern European. So a lot of Eastern European cooking and then um, and then a lot of Chinese cooking. My grandmother lived with us uh, after I was about 11. She moved in with us. And so she would cook Chinese food almost every night, which was great. Uh, so we had a, food was important. I'll say that in our family. It still is to me. <laughs> I think it is in my family as well. It's, it's a big, it's a very big thing. In it's, hard, it's hard to trust anybody that doesn't like eating, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, which leads to ask other questions about how we operate as human beings, but we'll, we'll probably talk about this a little later um, because I do want to ask you about training and self-development. I, you know, I'm a coach. I train people. I offer workshops through my consulting agency. And basically what I do is help uh, empower employee, employee retention for agency ad agencies by offering training, by really identifying their, you know, their, their plus and, and, and the not so plus and really honing both of the, giving them both of, um, of those worlds by migrating programmatic media advertising training and then how to operate successfully. And so training is really, really important. And it's one of my values more, more as a self-development. So how how often do you even focus on self-development? How often do you even train? How often is the cognitive team training and on what and so forth? Well, we do our best to constantly work on uh, what we see as mm -hmm. high-powered, high-performance uh, team development. Mm -hmm. We uh, feel very strongly that culture is a huge core value for any successful company. Um, there's a number of practical reasons for that. One, yeah. you want to win and you need to win fast and you need a team that wants to win and is very aligned. Period. That's very practical. Mm -hmm. Two, you don't want turnover. You want people to stay because all of that knowledge can continue to build and get better uh, mm -hmm. as you have more and more veterans. Mm -hmm. um, and recruiting is hard these days. Everybody's having a hard time recruiting in every industry. Yeah. So making sure that the culture is, is sticky super important from a practical perspective but from a philosophical perspective people want to work where it's fun people want to work where they have friends people want to work where they they like going to work i want all those things i don't want to be some uh some robot going to work every day and doing my business and, and clocking out we want we want to be interested and involved and true believers and all those things so we actually do do that constantly uh we, the management level goes through sort of a continuous management training, right? We, right, we right. call it a book club. <laughs> uh, we're reading different management and leadership books, mm -hmm. business books, things like that to keep our minds sharp, to constantly question, you know, how we've set up the company, how we are doing as managers. Um, and we have manager specific surveys, mm -hmm. uh, that are separate from our employee, mm -hmm. um, uh, by by year uh, semi yearly or twice a year um, surveys reviews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
And that's really feedback of, okay, of the 10 top things that we think you should do as manager, you know, talk about um, what my career path is. What, where do I fit in the company? Tell me about what's going on inside the company because it's a bigger and bigger company every day. You know, all these, all these things that really are pretty fundamental things that you should yeah. do as a, a manager and a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we review our managers every six months on that. So we, we take it very seriously. Uh, it's not let, it's not formalized training. We don't bring somebody in. Yeah. Generally speaking, sales has sales training, and sometimes we'll bring in some specific kind of training, like um, like we've done, you know, the personality color training and things like oh, that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, but usually when but I, yeah, I we, um, we take it very seriously. When we when I um, when I I do trainings, that's one of the first thing I do. I offer that's one of the added values, like bringing a disc assessment facilitator. I don't know if you're familiar with the disc yeah. assessment. And then, because I, I need to understand how people are going to receive this information, even though it's pretty much, and then right. I'm able to optimize even how to explain to them so that they can retain. Um, but yeah, I love the answer because I think it is, it is about culture. It is about the people. And, and I think we're focused on that end number without remembering that that's the human that's going to get you to that end number. So I appreciate the fact that you're really focusing on that. And lastly, what would be one thing you would advice somebody starting in the industry or I like to ask what is something you would have told yourself as a freshman person like entering the industry um that you know now that you didn't know back then dang if I knew this I think you know things would have been maybe slightly different what is one like advice you can give somebody uh I would say that our industry, number one, is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to be very open-minded about mm. it. But number two, I think that for folks entering the industry, there is the ideal way of doing business. Mm-hmm. And then there is the reality of doing business, especially in our industry. There's just a lot of structural inefficiencies that we've built in over time to our to our industry. And, and every industry has them. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure that people understand, hey, look, yes, there is a better way of doing things, but this is the way we do it here for now. It could change in six months. It's okay. You know, don't get too frustrated by that. Go with the flow. And it's there's always something exciting to learn in our advertising, marketing. You know, there's always a new idea and a new way of doing things. And um, it's it's never boring. So uh, I think everybody should should want to work in our industry. I think it's really yeah really an interesting <laughs> place. Oh yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I didn't get to ask the question before, but uh, talk to us about your podcast. You're a podcaster like myself. Tell me about it. Yes, I, I have a podcast yes. called Hidden Layers. Mm-hmm. Called Hidden Layers, and that's a play on a term for deep learning. <laughs> Deep learning, deep neural networks have layers of neural networks. And there's the top layer and the bottom layer and everything in the middle is hidden. (laughs) So that's why we call it hidden layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we talk to mostly uh, senior marketing Mm -hmm. um, uh, folks, CMOs and things like that about the evolution of marketing, what, how their brand handles it, but also how AI is helping them now and what they're thinking about ai Mm -hmm. uh, from a marketing perspective so it sort of combines sort of business a business case study with um how ai is 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 helping awesome and um thank you thank you a lot 
for coming on the podcast, making the time to really teach us and educate us about something that is way more important that we're hearing about. And then I want to thank you also for um, for just doing what you do, because I think giving option in the industry is really important. Like we need to have more options. That is, yes, that is a straight shot at Google, y'all. Yes, it is. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if anyone had more questions, Jeremy's information will be in the show notes, show notes but how can they reach, reach out to you if they do? Uh, my email is pretty easy. It's mm-hmm. jeremy at cognitive.ai. Okay. And the cognitive is spelled without the E. Yep. Because as we all know, in tech, you don't spell the words the right way. So it's jeremy at <laughs> like cognitive.ai. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for dropping by. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. And thank you also to our sponsors, uh, Work Reduce. If you want to reimagine how to work in advertising, check out WorkReduce dot com forward slash careers thank you everybody enjoy this bonus interview with jeremy hey jeremy i actually have a community that's called the programmatic meetup and we meet every every friday uh around 12 30 p.m eastern time um it's a paid community why because i want to attract the people that are invested in themselves and when you start paying for things you take a little bit more seriously than in a is free Everything I do is added value, and I'd like to invite you to speak to them um, because you, you have something that could really, really, really benefit them. Um, most of the, the audience, or rather most of the paying members are buyers, whether junior you know, to seniors, they're data analysts, they are senior strategists that are running campaign managing, that are reporting on those campaigns, that are talking to everybody that touches the campaign. So um, I'm really interested into what you may have to offer to them. And also like if you have any advice to a trader that is going through what they're going through (laughs) in a post-ish pandemic industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really tough to be a trader these days. We know that. There's understaffing, there's more and more campaigns to manage. Uh, all of it has to be done in self-serve DSPs, yeah. you know, and that's why we created actually a cognitive. So our our motto is the brain behind the brands. That's our tagline. Okay. And really what we want to be thought of as uh, an algorithm as a service company. We have different ways of delivering that algorithm. We have our own DSP, but we also have this tool for people using Trade Desk or Google or Media Math or whatever Ooh. called curation, oh. cognitive curation. Okay. And what it does is it in real time looks at every single impression, labels it with a specific deal ID that we give to the trader. And once they all they have to do is look for that deal ID, which is basically a buy signal, okay. and tell the Trade Desk campaign to buy on that deal ID. So it's like a private marketplace, but it's dynamic. And what's behind that deal ID Mm -hmm. is that every single time an impression is labeled with that deal ID, it's because our algorithms have said, this is an impression that will convert, Mm. right? So they don't have to anymore come up with a million different strategies and tactics and try them and wait a week or a couple of days to figure out if it worked to find a little bit of scale here and a little bit of scale there. And then that scale disappears and that tactic doesn't work. And they're constantly 
trying to find something new, yeah. our deep learning algorithms that are adaptive, these adaptive algorithmic advertising capabilities uh, are built into curation. And all they have to do is, is uh, uh, target that deal ID. Okay. Um, it's, it's an amazingly powerful tool and it's really trying to address this overworked problem for media buyers and analysts and all these other things. Um, and it works with any DSP. Okay, I was just gonna ask you if it works with any DSP and how easy is it to, to get access to that deal ID or is there any minimums, for instance? I know some, some DSPs or some partners or DM, uh, data providers offer, offer these type of, uh, well, not this optimization side, of course, but offer access to their inventory, but they, there's like minimums. Is there any minimums to access that? There are so so that's 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 an interesting thing, and that's you know we're sort of life hacking the PMP. Mm-hmm. A PMP okay. generally is thought of oh I need access to this audience mm-hmm. on this site. I need you know we're using the PMP, but really it's just an algorithm in the back end. Mm-hmm. It's not it's all across all inventory available. We're not a publisher. We are uh, a curator. Okay, across the entire open web. Uh, so that PMP is really just curating all those impression decisions for you so that you don't have to optimize. Uh, how easy is it to set up? Just like any performance campaign, you can drop a pixel or we can use Catalina data to to optimize to point of sale inside retailers. Or we can do location data to like a Foursquare or whatever mm-hmm. um, to optimize to people walking into stores. So there's a lot of op- options. Uh, we just need to know, hey, we showed an ad to somebody and they bought something. And that is the training data that we use um, to, to develop the custom algorithm. Everybody gets their own algorithm. Everybody gets an algorithm that's per, um, per metric. So it could be, hey, this is a ROAS campaign or this is a visits campaign or this is a quotes campaign. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And um so my next question would be, so you're right, a lot of DSPs nowadays have their own internal proprietary uh, custom algorithm or automation in terms of optimizing. For instance, the Tradest, I just trained a team in the Tradest, Solomar has COA. They always had COA, honestly, before Solomar even. Um, but if we had to test um, both, would you, is, are they going to complement each other? Would we have to select one or the other? What do you think? Uh, I, I'm, I don't think that all tactics are going to go away. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, look, if you're a car sales company, you're an auto company, mm-hmm. you're not going to stop buying autotrader.com <laughs> and in-market tactics. Those work, mm-hmm. but they only get you so far. Okay. Right. I think the beauty of cognitive specifically mm-hmm. is that it's, it gets you scale for prospect. Mm. Uh, it also is very efficient from a retargeting perspective. If you want to do retargeting, yeah. and all you're doing is $5 or $8 for the first, you know, three hours. And that's your heuristic. Uh, we're much more efficient at figuring out whether this person is actually going to come back and buy something and don't spend those $8 at all on those people. So there's a lot of efficiencies in all those things, but specifically on prospecting, this tool will get you the scale you need um, at the price you're looking for. 
Uh, whereas, whereas uh, all the other tactics that you that that work won't scale, but could be more effective, um, may cost more. So, against look, if those auto optimization capabilities worked, nobody would be doing anything else. <laughs> I think that's my the easiest he said, answer straight to up. <laughs> he said straight up. If it was working, you know. <laughs> If it was working, we wouldn't hear that everybody's overworked and has to try 16,000 different tactics, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So we're hopefully going to be able to cut down on 16,000 and you can use like five or 10, which is so manageable. You can use us yeah, and, uh, and you'll hit your goals. Now you have time for all 10 of your campaigns instead of just two. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, honestly, any form of automation, especially when well like completed correctly or done well is important for a trader's success because even though that's what they're supposed to do, it does not mean that they're not going to continue trade or like you said, manage campaigns instead of two and 10, they're just becoming better at it and more efficient. And that's way better. Why wouldn't be, why wouldn't efficiency be one of the main goal when it comes to you know, just even running a business or running a team or the team running the the business for the the, the owner. So I thank you for sharing this with us. And um, if anyone was interested into finding out even more information or reaching out or getting the tested or, you know, having access to this, how can they get about, about doing it? So they can reach out to me at jeremy at cognitive.ai or directly to sales, sales at cognitive.ai will get them right into the right into the connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, we're, we'd love to help. Uh, we'd love to help. Yeah, we know course. that I there's a lot of pain out there. And frankly, it's been like this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that we can make some change. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. I'm all about change and I'm all about helping. So thank you so much for sharing with us and have a good one. Thanks.